You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. At checkout, enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will save twenty dollars off your trail camera purchase now today we have a another kick-ass podcast and it's just a straight up bs session with a gentleman named rob westbrook you will learn all about him in today's episode and i'm telling you right now it's a good one for a monday it's going to be a good one because you know the good news is this podcast exists on a Monday. The bad news is the weekend is over. So I don't know how, however you want to weigh that. Now, I'm excited because later this week I get to go to the full draw film tour. It's coming through the state of Iowa in a town near me and uh, I will be attending that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I love watching short films especially when they revolve around hunting a passion of mine and i'm sure yours as well so i'm looking forward to that and i'm looking forward to this upcoming weekend as well because i get to go hang tree stands and check trail cameras so with all that said i'm freaking jacked for this week to kind of be over already I can't think like that, but, uh, you know, we got some cool things coming from the Sportsman's Nation. We got some cool podcasts coming from the Nine Finger Chronicles side. Uh, and today's, speaking of tree stands, hunter safety systems, right? So, like I, like I always say, man, I mean, they have, they have a variety of options to choose from, right? They have the vests that you can wear. I've worn uh, vests in the, in the past, and I love the fact that it's something really easy you just slip on lock in you're good to go i love that they have a harness that is designed strictly for hanging tree stands and one that i will be using this uh, i think it's called the hanger uh harness and that's what i'm going to be using this weekend when i go and uh check out all of my you know trim out my shooting lanes check the stands that uh the locations that have already been established and cut some new ones out as well so i'm looking forward to that now if you want to find out more information on hunters safety systems visit huntersafetysystem.com and go check out everything that they have to offer now i know here pretty soon i'm going to be offering a discount code to everybody and whenever that uh happens i will let all of you know so keep an ear out for that and you'll be able to save on um, you'll be able to save on that as well so hunter safety systems 
go check out their website, take a look at all the products that they have to offer. Uh, just a really good established company uh, that makes a really good product. So, uh, you know, go check them out. Now, enough talking. Let's get into today's podcast, Straight Up BS Session with Rob Westbrook. All right. On the phone with me for the second time, even though the first time was like, like what did you say, like two years ago? Like you were one, you were like one of the initial first comers on the podcast, right? Yes, sir. Mr. Rob Westbrook, how you doing, man? Oh, dude, I cannot complain. I cannot complain. It's like uh, in the mid-70s today in Oklahoma. For the past like two weeks, it's been a scorcher, man. Like one day it was like 106. It's been warm. Yeah, uh, same here in Iowa. Today, we I think the high got to 75 degrees, and um, I'll be honest with you, recording this podcast is going to be awesome, but I'm looking out my window right now, and I could be sitting out in the shade, reading a book. Uh, I don't read books, dude. Let's be honest. I don't do that stuff, <laughs> but I could be shooting my bow. I could be drooling, and by the way, I hate you. Because you did, it's like you committed a cardinal sin. You sent me trail camera pictures while I was at work, and now I just instantly shut off and I was not productive for the rest of the day. So I have you to thank for that. <laughs> I completely understand that, man. Every now and then, you know, something catches you off guard and you're down that rabbit hole. And uh, whether, especially this time of year when uh, we got velvet bucks running around. Oh, man. Do you love velvet bucks? Dude, I absolutely do. It's like it's like Christmas almost, man. You set your you set your cameras up over a mineral site or a bait pile, whatever you're doing, a food plot, and uh, you know you come in into July, first of August, and you kind of start putting together what bucks might be in your area. Not necessarily what bucks you're going to get to hunt that year, because anyone that's hunted whitetail for some amount of time knows once they start dropping velvet. You know, it's kind of like the switch. That's what I like to call it. You might you might upgrade or you might downgrade. You really don't know what's going to happen in September. Amen. Amen. All right. So you sent me these these trail camera pictures, and it instantly got me thinking uh, that not this weekend, but next weekend. So like uh, the weekend of August 5th, I think, I'll be able to go and, and uh, check my trail cameras. Uh, and I'm excited. But some of the pictures that you sent, sent me are these – like repeat customers from previous years have these guys been on your hit list before all right so it's kind of a, an interesting thing see i lost i had a lease a few years ago i lost that and i ended up just hunting public for uh two years i hunted public only and then last year i kind of got permission on this land and you know i didn't really think anything of it it's one of my buddy's parents you know they own it now and you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you need to come out and hunt. And this property, what it is, is it's about 100, I'm going to call it 100-acre soybean field. Well, this year it's got winter wheat in it. But, you know, it's just a big crop field with not much, you know, woods on the side. So there's not really a lot of area for someone to hunt. So last year we kind of put up some cameras, you know, put a couple feeders out. We got some pictures of a couple decent bucks. And uh, we didn't really pay any much attention out there. So this year, you know, I kind of got everything set up and it's basically like a new property. We have a couple bucks that we know were out there last year. Um, we don't really have any information on them this year as of yet. So those bucks, all that are on those pictures are uh, new this year, as far as I know. Well, that's good. Uh, that one, man, well, let me look at the date of it real quick. But the one from 6-18, so June, June 18th, man, he's got some mass on him. Looks like he's going to be a split brows. Yeah, man, that's uh, one of the ones that me and my buddy Josh were looking at yesterday. Uh, I was just like, dude, that right there is going to be a stud. To have that much, you know, antler already is what I, I mean. We got some big deer in Oklahoma, don't get me wrong. But I, it's it's odd for me, you know, the past few years on public land to see a deer of that size. And, uh, you know, with that big soybean field and everything in that area, I think he's going to be a stud, man. Yeah, so yeah. you're hunting public land. Uh, a, a little bit of both. That actually, where those pictures came from, is a private parcel that I have uh, permission on. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and dude, what's the deal with Oklahoma? Like all of a sudden they just blew up this year, and I think they led the nation. May maybe I don't know, but there was a lot of two hundred inch deer killed in Oklahoma in two thousand seventeen. Yeah, man. Uh, two thousand seventeen was a crazy year for Oklahoma. It really was. Um, 
as far as I know, I don't think any other state has ever had that many 200 inch deer harvested in one year. And that, I mean, I could be completely wrong. I was just, as far as I know, um, I did talk to George Moore, I actually had him on my podcast, uh, the devoted outdoorsman. Um, I talked to George Moore. He's an official Pope and young Boone and Crockett score for the state of Oklahoma. And last year he scored, I believe the last number I saw was 39 deer all over 200 inches that were harvested in 2017 season. And that's just the ones that he saw. That's not the, those are just the ones that he measured. That's not including ones that, you know, maybe somebody shot and is not necessarily letting out on social media or whatever it may be. Right. Right. Yeah, man. And I'm telling you right now, I know firsthand, uh, just because, you know, (laughs) these days people say, Hey, if it's not on social media, it never happened. Right. But I'm telling you, man, I drive by some, you know, some gravel roads some days, uh, you know, it's, it's past dark and especially in the summertime, people have their windows open and you drive down these farm roads and, you know, you can see a, an old man or old lady in their rocking chairs and on the wall is an absolutely gigantic mount of, you know, I'll just tell you, there's, there's this one house I drive by quite a bit and this is an old man and an old woman. Uh, live there i'm guessing the square footage of this house is like a thousand feet right a bathroom a bedroom maybe two bedrooms in a kitchen and a living room uh and there's it's a farm right pretty small house but when you drive by it and when they have the windows open this guy has i'm assuming maybe i want to say 10 boone and crockett deer hanging on his wall and a couple euro mounts that it's hard to tell, but could possibly go uh, 200 inches. Now, I don't know the story behind those. All I know is I drive by this guy's house, and I get to see those every once in a while when he has his curtains open, and I just sit there and drool. <laughs> yeah, man, I think that definitely happens, you know, especially with uh, the elderly people or people that live kind of uh, off the grid a little bit. You know, they, they don't necessarily want to let people know that they harvested these deer, that, you know, they have a little honey hole somewhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that definitely happens more than we, uh, we know about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then when you, uh, <laughs> when you go try to get access to the neighboring farms, <laughs> because that's what I do, uh, you know, go knock on doors. Hey man, you got anybody hunting here? And they just laugh at you because they know that they, they probably have driven by the house, seen the windows open <laughs> and know that. Everybody knows that there's big deer on the farms and the surrounding farms. They just don't let you hunt. So I've tried, I've failed, and I just go to a different different spot. Man, the worst thing they can say is no. That's what I, that's what I always tell everybody. You know, just go ask them. You know, that's all it takes. That's that right. one person you go ask, you know, they might be like, yeah, you know, of course you can come hunt out here. Or, you know, they might just turn you down. But you just go to the next house and knock again and be polite and, you know, start a conversation with them. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your record most door knocks in a day? Man, I'm actually, I don't go a lot. I don't knock on a lot of doors. What I try to do is I try to find one property and a lot of times it's uh, neighboring to something I already have permission on or uh, somebody that I know has permission on. And I will go talk to the people that way. Uh, so that way I'm not going around a, a whole section talking to everybody around the whole block. Because, you know, most of the time when you get in with one neighbor, the, the word travels fast. Either, you know, hey, this guy is a prick and, you know, he won't take care of your property. Or, hey, he's a nice guy. He helped me cut firewood. He helped me mend the fence, whatever it may be. And then I kind of just get permission that way. Right. Right. I think uh, over a two-day period, it was a Saturday and a Sunday. This was when I first moved to the area. I knocked on 22 different doors in two days, and I was told no every single time. <laughs> that they, they, all, they hunted themselves or they already had another hunter uh, hunting the property, or a couple of them were like, oh, we don't allow, you know, we don't allow hunting on our piece. But uh, I finally... The following year, got hooked up with a piece of property, so my persistence paid off. Yeah, man, twenty-two times. I'd be a lot. To, I'd be feeling pretty down on myself at that point. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, though. Twenty getting told no twenty-two times to deer hunt is still nothing compared to getting told no twenty-two times in college 
for other things. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can different see that story. Point too. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, um, man. Like I said at the beginning, like this podcast is going to be a straight up BS session because we don't have anything planned. And, um, we've already talked a little bit about everything, but I kind of want to circle back to Oklahoma a second. You know, I've had, uh, you're not the first person I've had on from Oklahoma. Uh, I've had a couple other guys and they, they're kind of telling me, you know, Hey, this is, uh, it's starting to get better in Oklahoma. You know, the deer, the deer quality is starting to go up. Um, even some of the numbers are starting to go up and, uh, the question that I have for you is whereabouts, what part of the state in Oklahoma do you hunt? And then talk a little bit about the terrain that you hunt. So that's a Oklahoma. When it comes to Oklahoma and terrain, man, you can get a little bit of everything. And like I said, I like to hunt public land because Oklahoma has an abundant amount of it. And if you're not scared to get a little bit off the path or just, you know, outsmart the rest of the hunters, you can find a little honey hole in there somewhere. So I like to go all over the state. I hunt, I've hunted southeastern part of the state. I've hunted northeastern part of the state, southwestern, hunted the whole state. And you can go anywhere from, um, you can go from kind of mountainous. I'm not going to say mountainous, but, uh, you know, hilly terrain. And uh, the, the eastern part of the state, southeastern part of the state gets pretty hilly. And then, uh, you know, farther west you go, the less trees you got, a little bit flatter. And uh, you even get into some sand in certain areas. So the area that I'm currently hunting mostly is uh, the northeastern part of the state and uh, the north central part of the state. Okay. That land that I have permission on is in the northeastern part of the state, um, closer to the Kansas line. So you get you get a little bit better deer quality up in that area of the state. A lot more uh, leases and uh, people that are um, looking out a little bit more for the deer. Yeah. So uh, my uncle, he lives in a small town in southeastern near... Uh near independence i think it is independence uh uh, maybe it's not independence Uh, i'm trying to think emporia he lives near emporia kansas so he's i guess not too terribly far from the oklahoma border and there's really good quality deer around there yeah dude there's some studs up in that area you know lots of crop fields and uh, just just lots of uh good agriculture and stuff for the deer to be living in Yeah. So does, uh, as you start moving West out of, you know, from the, from the, I guess, Oklahoma, Arkansas border, Northeast where it borders Kansas and Missouri, as you head West, do you got, do you start running into like any antelope or any mule deer? Dude, actually there are, um, quite a few mule deer out in the Western part of the state. Um, as of right now, you can buy an, uh, a white tail tag and harvest a mule deer buck with it. I don't, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't think you can harvest a mule deer doe at this point in time, but, uh, we have antelope and those are, um, draw. You have to get a draw or have like, um, a landowner's permission, like and landowners can get a tag. And uh, those are the only two ways you can hunt antelope out in the panhandle of Oklahoma. Gotcha. But as far as mule deers are concerned, mule deer is concerned is it like everything west of 35 is that where you're going to find them or do you have to get even further west then hello i'm here my bad uh <laughs> um uh, it, i'm not 100% sure like how far to the east the the mildew actually go like where the exact line is but i i do know that there's little pockets of them all across the western part of the state gotcha. and uh, there's a there's a fairly large grasslands out in the uh let's say probably the west central part of the state like right in the middle um it's called uh, the black kettle national grasslands and i do believe there's a couple little pockets of uh, mule deer in that area as well perfect have you ever hunted them I have never actually uh, seen one in Oklahoma, but uh, I see pictures online every year, people harvesting some studs. So uh, hopefully, you know, someday I'll get my way out there and uh, maybe stick one with an arrow. Gotcha. So do you live then, where do you live? In Northeast, in the Northeast part yeah, of the man, state? Yeah, man, I live, 
Yeah, man, I live in uh, Tulsa or the Tulsa area, gotcha. and um, it's the northeastern part of the state. Okay, so do you ever make your way up to Kansas to hunt then? Uh, I haven't yet, but that is definitely something that I'm uh, looking into in the future. Uh, I actually, one of my uh, family friends, I just realized that he's got about, uh, I think it's like 8,000 acres that he manages up there for like cattle. It's like a big cattle farm. And he told me, man, he's like, dude, you get a tag and you come up here and we'll get you set up on one. So uh, I'm going to try to get up there at some point. Heck yeah. Kind of the... uh... I got the same situation going on in Nebraska. I got uh, some distant family members who own, I don't even know how many thousands. I want to say like 26,000 acres. They they used to own like 50 sections of land uh, for for their cattle operation. And they've kind of sold it off over the years. But they were like, when Nebraska was just a territory, not a state yet, their their, uh, family members came out and started claiming land and and then they moved in they started uh a family and then they you know started a cattle operation and that's kind of how it started and uh, so that that history is pretty cool but yeah i i definitely want to get back out there because not only are there whitetails on the property and muleys but there's also antelope as, as well and uh it's kind of cool when you can go hunt all three uh, species at one time. Yeah, man, I've heard that uh, Nebraska is a definitely a good state to go to. I hear they have a, a lot of uh, like land access programs, like uh, walk-ons and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> one thing that you you talked to me about uh, earlier before we started recording was your obsession with cheap trail cameras. Now. I'm kind of the opposite when it comes to hunting gear. I feel that price reflects quality, and um, especially for like longevity. Uh, I uh, I've had some past trail cameras, especially that you know I paid maybe oh I don't I don't know like seventy bucks for, and they've been garbage. Uh, they may they maybe last a season, but then you start having problems with them on season number two, and then the third season you go to use them and they don't even work. So I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. Well, let's put it this way: I do hunt a lot of public land, and on public land, everybody knows, man. If you stick a trail camera at you know head height, you know somewhere in the timber, at some point, most likely somebody's going to find it. And a lot of times those people aren't honest people. I'm not, you know, accusing anybody, but a lot of times uh, they go missing after those people walk through that area. And it's hard for me, you know, um, being a working class guy, man, it's hard for me to go spend, you know, several hundred dollars on a camera that I, to put out on public. Now on this property that I have permission on, you know, it's only supposed to be me and my buddy out there. That's a different thing. I'm going to look into um, a little bit more of a a more expensive setup. Look at the cell phone cameras and stuff like that. But um, as far as the, what I'm using right now is I'm using the Tasco trail cameras. You know, they're like $24 at Walmart. Uh, They're six megapixel. And I was very skeptical at first because like I said previously on the episode, you know, whatever it was uh, three years ago, two years ago, I have, I, I like to keep the cameras as cheap as possible. That way, if someone does happen upon it on public land, it's not a big deal. I got, you know, 30, 35 bucks in that setup. Oh, well, you know, I lost it. But at the same time, if it, you know, works properly for a year and, you know, I get two years use out of it, I'm like, ah, okay, you know, gold mine. So what I do like about um, the camera setup that I'm using now is that when I actually found out about them, I was real skeptical at first, like I'd said, and I found them at Walmart. You know, somebody told me, hey, man, there's these cameras at Walmart. You need to go check them out because all my buddies know if I can get a camera in the woods and it's cheap, I'm going to do it. You know, just because that extra little intel you get. You know, if I can uh, spend $30 on 100 cameras and get them out there, I'm not, I mean, that's kind of a, a lot, you know, 30 cameras. But, you know, people do it. People run that many cameras. And like I said, me being a working class man, I can't go spend, you know, several uh, you know, $10,000 on a, a uh, set of some 30 cameras or whatever it may be so like i was saying i know i went off track there <laughs> like i said i get a little passionate about the the cheap cameras so one of my buddies told me he said hey man there's these cameras at walmart they're 24 bucks you need to check them out 
I was like, all right, you know, I tried to do a little research on them. I looked online. I couldn't really find any videos on YouTube about them. No one really had any good information about them. So I was like, all right, you know, what's 24 bucks? So I go up to Walmart. I pick one. Happens right next to the cameras, you know, $24. They had a pack. It takes eight uh, AA batteries. Well, right next to the cameras, they had a pack of some brand that I've never even heard of with an SD card in it. And I was like, eh, you know, it was like $4 or five bucks. So yeah, whatever, I'll give it a try. I'm already on this cheap spree. I'll just go ahead and get both of these a try. So what I did is I took that camera and the next weekend I put the, you know, no name, never even heard of them batteries in there put the little cheap SIM card in there and stuck it out thinking, you know, worst comes to worst, it doesn't work. Or, you know, I get a couple crappy pictures and then, you know, Hey, I learned my lesson. But what actually ended up happening was that camera set on that tree close to six months and I never had a problem with it hmm. and I had like $31 in that camera setup right and how many so it sat out there for six months uh, how many pictures did it take man one time I let my buddy Josh set it up and we got like 23,000 pictures on an SD card and what size SD card were you using uh, I was a 32 okay so 32 gigabytes but uh, you're talking twenty three thousand at six megapixels um i guess that would work yeah i mean because there's certain times a year where i don't give a shit about the quality of the picture all i want to know is is that buck is there a buck a mature buck using this area exactly man and when I, like I said, when I hunt public with them, I don't really want to have to worry about somebody stealing the camera. And that's really all I'm using them for. I'm using them to find out if people are coming in this deep into the public land. So I use them to hunt people. Well, not really hunt people, but, you know, see if people are coming into this area as well as seeing just if there's activity and deer using, you know, let's say this creek the way I think they are. And a lot of times the pictures aren't, you know, great quality, but for 30 bucks, as long as I can count the points and, you know, I can tell that it's a deer, I'm pretty happy with it. Right. And, uh, like those pictures I sent you, those are from, uh, that camera. Okay. Not too bad, man. Now with that, you know, with those, those cameras, um, how many cameras over the years have you had stolen to, you know, cause I have a feeling that you're, you're making these camera decisions based off of previous years experience right so you've had maybe i'm guessing you've had some stolen and that's why you've decided to go cheap on this all right so the reason that i went cheap on this was because i used to have a lease this wasn't even on public land man i had a lease and uh some, some a couple cameras winded up going missing and you know kind of put a bad taste in my mouth i was like man okay i'm just not going to run cameras well you know a couple weeks later i was like man i wish i had some trail cameras out so uh, I uh, was like, man, I'm just going to keep it as cheap as possible. So I've actually only had one camera stolen, but I just, you know, I started buying these cheap cameras and they kept working. So I was just like, why well, change something that's not, you know, that's not broken. Right. How long do you li or leave your trail cameras out typically? Okay. So typically I try to check most of my cameras at least once a month. Okay. That's what I try to do. Okay. Yeah, I know for me, um, I interviewed a guy from a, a pot or a, a trail camera company, and he told me that the the trail cameras will last longer the longer you leave them up and running. Because he said most times, you know, when you're taking them down, putting them in your truck, dropping them accidentally or throwing them somewhere, putting them on a shelf, taking them off, changing batteries, putting them back on, that's when they break. And they tend to last longer when you leave them in the woods for longer periods of time. So there's that. Yeah, man, that makes sense. You know, there's lots of uh, moving parts inside the camera with lenses and everything like that. So, I mean, like that guy said, you know, getting it down and throwing it in your bag. And, you know, us being guys, most of the time we're not real careful with our packs. You know, we might sling it in the back of the truck or, you know, pull it up your stand with a string or let it down out of the stand with a string. Uh, I know I've been bad about that in the past. I, can, I need to be a little bit more careful now that my camera's in there. But, uh, you know, from time to time, right, messes up. Right. Absolutely. All right. Now throughout the, all the years, throughout all the years, what do you think is the 
biggest whitetail you've ever captured on trail camera? Man, uh, I have a picture somewhere. I'll have to find it of a buck that I got on a lease that I had probably five or six years ago. And it, it's not a, a complete giant. Like I, you know, I see people all the time on a uh, online, you know, with these 180 inch, 200 inch deer. I've never had anything that big, but, um, I'm going to say this one was probably in the high one sixties, like low one seventies. Like it probably would have gone a booner. And I got one picture of it in the middle of the night, just crossing, you know, not even, you know, at the feeder or, you know, at a food plot or anything. He was just crossing this trail and I never got another picture of him, but I'm going to say he was probably, he was probably high one sixties, low one seventies. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I think mine was a buck. I mean, I, I, I had thousands of pictures of him, uh, when I would dump corn out after the season was over to see if he had, had made it. But, uh, this buck I called shipwreck, man, we had, uh, he was probably, he was probably close to 210 inches if i if we were to sit down and measure him i know that he was killed the following year and he measured right at 200 so uh he was a complete stud that uh i did not kill <laughs> but i love getting trail camera pictures of big deer so like i just am jacked when that time comes like i i already have next weekend planned right i gotta help my wife at a farmer's market i have to take or like come back home load my truck up and then i'm off to the farm to check trail cameras and start hanging tree stands and then the next day uh, i'll hang some more tree stands and check some more cameras and uh man it's just like i'm getting fired up just talking about it oh yeah man i look at the calendar every day and i'm like all right, we got 60 something days left. And I'm just like, all right, if I don't think about it, it'll go by faster. And then there I am the next day looking at the calendar again. <laughs> right. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's see here. Random question out of nowhere from your, all your hunting experience, right? Um, what has been the, your biggest failure that has turned around and that you've learned something from and you were able to either be successful or just have a big takeaway from that failure. Man, it's funny. I have, I have several moments throughout my, I'll, let's call it my hunting career. I have several moments that I look back on and I'm like, man, if I wouldn't have been so stupid, uh, or if I would have put that extra moment in to cut this tree down or whatever it may be, but there's one that sticks out in my mind. It was uh, actually when I was back in high school, uh, me and my younger brother, I got a brother that's uh, three years younger than me. And I was like, you know, he woke up one morning. He's like, Hey man, let's go hunting today. And I was like, dude, we got school. He's like, no, no, let's just go hunting. And I was like, all right, let's, let's go. You know, so we get in my, <laughs> so you skip school, it, man, you skip school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, dude. We skipped school to go. And, uh, what's funny about it is we lived in kind of a suburb of Tulsa. So, you know, like a lot of the kids that went go to school with, they don't understand hunting. You know, everybody thinks it's Oklahoma and they're like, Oh, you know, a bunch of hicks. But, you know, a lot of people up here, you know, it's not necessarily they're against it. They're just, you know, they don't know about it yet. You know, they've never been introduced to it. So, you know, people didn't understand that. I was always leaving school to, to go hunting. But on this morning, I had this 90 model Honda Accord and, uh, you know, four-door old piece of junk car. I hopped in it and we drove out to this, out to this land. You know, it was probably uh, 15 acres of land that we had permission on somehow. Uh, somebody that I'm related to uh, lived there. So I was like, all right, man, let's go out here. We didn't have any stand set up. We had two five-gallon buckets underneath this tree. So we get out there, and it's right next to this creek, probably 15 yards from this creek. And what it is is on one side, on the north side of the property, there's a guy that uh, probably has two or 3,000 acres, and he manages it. You know, he has food plots. And that was really the first place I'd ever seen somebody use food plots and stuff like that. But I always knew that he had big deer. I would always catch him, you know, or down a fence line or something, crossing this little this little property through this creek so we sat underneath this tree on this creek and you know his day was going by it was like 10 30 in the afternoon or in the morning and uh my little brother shows up you know he, he was out underneath a tree somewhere he shows up he's like hey man let's go home we're not you know we're not seeing any deer i was like dude let's just sit here like we don't have anything else to do you know we're skipping school there's no reason to go go back to town let's just sit here for a little while he's like all right so i'm sitting there playing angry birds on my you know slinging angry birds, slinging angry birds. And all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I catch something run, going down the creek. And I'm just like, 
you know, I kind of glanced up and I was like, dude, that's a deer. So I like dropped my phone and I just ha- I had this, I didn't even have a grunt. I had a duck call and I hit this duck call and this buck just stopped. A and duck. Tracks, you know, probably four, a, a duck. duck, like a, like, like a duck hunting call, man. Quack, quack duck. And yeah, quack, quack duck. And uh, this buck just stops in the middle of the creek. Like he's just like, what, what was that? And he kind of turns and looks and there's literally nothing in between us for 40 yards except this one little cedar tree in the creek. And this, this cedar tree is probably, I don't know, three and a half foot tall. You know, it's just a sapling. And that's the only thing in between us in 40 yards. And this buck, like he knew something was, you know, something was fishy. He knew that because he heard a duck, you know. So he turns and kind of looks at us. And I hit it again, and he starts walking towards us. So, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm 16. I got this bow that I, you know, hardly ever practice with. I'm sitting underneath this tree on a five-gallon bucket just shaking. And I, my little brother's just saying, he's like, what do we do? And I was like, just stay still. This buck comes up, and that cedar tree was probably 12 yards in front of me. That buck comes up all the way to right behind that cedar tree looking straight at me. And I'm just like, you know, I know I bow hunted enough that I knew I couldn't shoot through a cedar tree. So I'm like, all right, he needs to, he needs to take another step. You know, he needs to take one step. And, dude, I sat there probably, I don't know, it, it seemed like a, an hour, but I'm sure it was only, you know, five minutes with you know full draw on this buck with a duck call in my mouth and he's just sitting there right behind the cedar tree just looking like trying to figure out what's going on and you know i don't know how he didn't know oh that's a human but i mean we're just sitting there on a five gallon bucket so i got a boat fully drawn back on him and everything and uh i start shaking and you can tell he's getting real nervous and then i could feel i felt the wind change and as soon as the wind changed he he took like two or three steps and turned and when he turned, I shot, and I missed him at like eleven yards. Ugh. So that you... is when I, I became very religious about practicing with my bow. There, I mean, there's no reason I should have missed that at twelve yards. Uh, I think it was because I, I, did, I came to the woods that day not prepared to hold my bow back for five minutes, you know. And in hunting, everybody knows situations like that may occur especially, you know, uh, on a big buck like that, or, you know, an old doe at the same time, they're real smart. They're not going to, they're not going to slip up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's, uh, that's crazy. I I love these stories. I, I saw, I talked to a guy at the Iowa deer classic once and he was sitting on a bucket in public ground in Iowa, sitting on a bucket. He, I think it was one of his first deer he ever shot with a bow and sure enough what walks in a 205 inch deer while he's sitting on a bucket in public ground and he shoots and kills it so that right there that that story alone blew my mind i'm like man all this work that people do to put themselves in the right spot luck still has to come and visit every once in a while and say hey man let's go let's go reward this guy who's been sitting on this bucket with a 200 inch deer Man, it's funny that we kind of got on this this topic of, you know, just people that happen to luck, you know, luck out with a buck. And uh, what's funny about this is one of the first people I had on my podcast, this guy named Larry Wheeler, and he's uh, a, a, an Oklahoma native. He's from down around uh, Ada, Oklahoma, and he harvested two 200-inch deer out of the same tree within 10 days of each other this year. Holy smokes. And. It was literally a luck thing. He had permission on some land. The guy that owned the land next door said, hey, man, there's these deer in here tearing up my pecan trees. And he's like, okay, you know, just being a good old boy, he was like, hey, man, I'm going to go over here and help this guy out. He went over there, stuck up a tree, a ladder stand in this tree. And the next day that he hunted, this buck walked out in front of him, and it had uh, 26 points. He shot he shot a buck with 26 points. I think I want to say it was 216 or 214 inches is what that one ended up scoring. He shot that one with his crossbow and, uh, he didn't find it for two days. Well, he ended up finding it. He ended up finding it. Then there was a, someone in his family had passed. So he had to go out of town, you know, go to a funeral and stuff like that. Well, when he got back, he said, all right, you know, I'm going to go hunt one of these evenings. But, you know, he'd already shot a 200-inch deer. You know, everybody thought he was crazy. His wife was like, no, man, you don't need to go. But he's like, hey, I'm retired. I don't have anything else better to do. I'm going to go out here and sit in this tree again, see if I can get another deer. 
And then that night, he ended up shooting a buck that had 34 scorable points. And I wanted, it was in the high one or 220s that it scored. I don't know the exact number, but it was high 220s. Wow. Wow. As much as I say, you know, score isn't really that important, it definitely would be kick ass to shoot something that rare and that big. Absolutely, dude. And that's what I was telling Larry. I was like, dude, you got to be the luckiest guy I've ever met. <laughs> Two 200 inchers on just permission on a permission basis farm. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, dude. Within 10 days of each other out of the same tree. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So, so that was your kind of, you know, we talked about your biggest failure and whatnot. Now, what what do you think is more important when it comes to picking a tree stand location? Like when you're, when you're ready to start diving in, you know, it's, it's, it's game time. It's the rut. It's time to start, uh, looking for places, you know, looking for specific trees. You're going in, you're, you're scouting, you're moving around, you know, what are you looking for as far as describe for, how about this? Describe the perfect tree that you want to sit in for, uh, for a hunt. Man, the perfect tree for me to sit in is the one wherever that booner walks about 20 yards out in front of me. That's the one I'm going to, I'm going to pick. But, uh, that's a simple answer. That's an easy answer. Oh yes, sir. (laughs) But, um, really I like, especially on public land, man, I hunt with my climber a lot and, uh, I do a lot of running gun type, type hunting, man. I will go into an area that I have scouted, uh, either with a uh, Google, Google maps or whatever it may be, Google earth. And I, I find an area on these public area, these public lands. And whether that be a pinch point made by a river and a pond, which is uh, one of my favorites. I like to find those spots where the deer can't go any other way or, um, you know, a, a dry Creek area where the Creek gets real dry and I can go check for tracks. And what I do, man, is I try to find the most amount of deer traffic in that area. I don't care if it's bucks. I don't care if it's does. I just try to stay away from hogs and other people. And that's, that's where I like to go. So a lot of times, man, I end up in a really tall, either, um, oak tree or a lot of times down here, we have, um, the cottonwood trees, which like to grow in the the river areas. And, uh, I like, man, I like a big cotton tree that I can, cottonwood tree that I can get probably, uh, 20 feet up into my climber and, uh, have a couple good shooting, shooting lanes. I don't have to be able to see very far because uh, I like to be right on top of them when they come in. Yeah. So climbers versus let's say like sticks and hang-ons, do you have a preference? With, I have a slightly modified, which I'm not saying is a, a safe, a safe thing, but it weighs, it weighs 16 pounds. So I can carry that stand anywhere in the woods and some of the places that i hunt on uh, some of these public areas must be a two and a half mile high end hard to find a straight line that far on the public you there yeah i'm here can you hear me yeah you're kind of cutting in and out are you driving down the road no Give me one, let me switch off of a Wi-Fi. I'll put to data and see if that helps. See if that helps any. But man, like I was saying, is uh, I like I like my climber because it's super light and I can get in just about any tree with it. As long as as long as there's not too many branches, and I'll I'll climb. I'll use the branches to climb, and I'll go up there. And I'll just strap it in like a almost like a just a hang on stand. Um, I have been looking into getting a. Uh, Getting like a, uh, what is it? Yeah. Hey man, something's happening. Um, like there's no connection. I, I'm almost every word you say is kind of fading in and out. Can you hear me now? I can. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> go ahead and, uh, go ahead and start to, uh, start when you were saying, you know, with your, uh, with your climber you like your climber because oh yeah man so i like my climber because it's uh it's light 
you know, like I said, it weighs about 16 pounds. It's slightly modified. And uh, I can get into some of these thicker areas with my with my climber. And I mean, a lot of people say, hey, you need a straight tree with a climber or you need a tree with no limbs in it. But I'm kind of a I'm kind of a monkey or a squirrel. If you want to think about it that way, I'll climb up in that tree and I'll uh, strap my climber on just like I would do a, a strap on stand. Right. So what happens when you're like you find the tree? It's a perfect tree. Uh, there may not be so much cover at about 10 feet, but you need, you need to be higher than that. And there's a big old branch that just, you, you're not going to be able to cut it out of the way. So you, so how do you get past that branch? This is very unsafe and no one should do this unless they're strapped in, which I try to be, I'll strap my, uh, I'll take my, my safety, my safety suit and I'll go up there. And what I'll do is when I get to that branch, I will take my hunter safety system and I'll strap. Well, I use a gorilla, you know, a gorilla system, but you know, same, same thing, a, a hunting vest and I will strap it above that, uh, above that branch. And then I will literally unchain my seat and put it above it and go up. I don't like to do that because it's very unsafe. And I only do that if it comes down to, uh, this is the only tree that I'm going to be able to hunt this spot on. And that's one of the main reasons I have been looking into getting a, a set of sticks and like a strap on. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you like, you like climbers. Yeah, I, I, I like my climber. Um, I do. I like a ladder stands. If it's somewhere I can set something and not even have to worry about moving it again. Uh, another thing that I have thought of doing since I like my climber so much is I've thought about just getting a pair of sticks. And, uh, you know, if I get to an area where I want to hunt, you know, I'll just set the sticks up in the tree, climb up there with my climber and then set it up just like I would a, uh, a hang on stand. That way I'm not having to go buy a whole nother setup, you know? Right. Yeah. Makes sense, man. So are you one of these guys, like I'm the guy who doesn't do any type of modifications really to his gear. Like, uh, like for my, my, uh, lone wolf tree stand, for example, there's guys out there who do all sorts of modifications to it. Me personally, I I haven't yet done any type of modifications to my hunting equipment. Uh, are you that guy, or do you kind of just uh, use the stock? Man, most of the time, I don't like to mess with it if it doesn't work properly. But the whole thing with the API stand was I bought it because it was light. You know, I think it weighs like. 20 pounds or something like that when you buy it. And then I started looking at it. I was like, man, it's got all these like, you know, latches and all these things on here that it doesn't really need. I mean, I could take off and just put a, you know, a solid bolt through there. And, you know, I don't necessarily need this foot, this foot prop. I don't necessarily need all these other pieces. And that's really what I did is I started taking things off that I didn't need, but kept it secure. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of crap about this stand. Uh, from a lot of people they're like man you you know that's unsafe or you know hey man you know you could fall but i'm like hey i went and i bought these bolts man and like i said in the previous episode when i was on here i i mean i work in an auto body shop so i know some of these bolts are you know they're grade a the man they hold cars together going down the highway so i know if they can hold a car going down the highway together i think it'll hold me in the stand as long as i'm not you know in hurricane type winds or anything like that right right have you ever had a oh shit moment when either coming up or coming down uh, a tree, like you slipped and uh, maybe fell or almost fell? Uh, with a climber? Uh, with any tree stand. Uh, yeah, I've had a couple of those moments. Um, with a climber, is a lot of people that do use them probably have uh, seen this. A lot of times now they'll come with a strap that connects the top stand like the top piece of the stand to the bottom piece because sometimes when you're climbing and you don't get just that right bite on the tree the bottom piece will fall right so then you're stuck with just the top part so what i do uh now to prevent that is like i went ahead and put a strap on mine but a lot of them come that way from the factory now yeah and uh beforehand i've heard horror stories of guys like being 12 15 feet up and that that platform falls and they they have to be very creative on their to get down because their their bottom platform did did fall all the way down. Yeah, man. The main reason I started doing this is there's a, a refuge here in uh, Oklahoma that you can go get a draw 
permit for. And uh, it's got some really big pine trees on it. And uh, I like to get way up in these trees because, like I said, I like to be have the deer right underneath me or right on top of me when they come in. So what I did is I was, I don't know, a good 25, 30 feet up in this tree, and I dropped my, my bottom platform. Like, it fell all the way to the bottom. So I was literally sitting at the top of this tree just on a seat, like nothing to hold my feet around. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments. I was just like, man, I have no idea how I'm going to get down. But me being me, you know, like I said, a squirrel or a monkey, when I was a kid, my dad would always, uh, you know, we did some tree removal and stuff like that. He'd always send me up to the top of the tree to cut the limbs. So I got pretty good at shimmying up and down trees. So I, I kind of, you know, wedged myself down and grabbed a hold of the trunk of the tree as tight as I could and uh, shimmied my way down. And uh, it was definitely one of the, the most sketchy experiences I've ever had in the deer stand. Man, I can imagine. All right. Um, let's see here. What do we want? What do I want to ask next? Uh, goals. All right. What's your goal for 2018 hunting goals? Man, my goal for 2018 is, uh, I would like to get a book on the ground. Uh, that's, that's my number one goal, but really I, I just want to get out there and, uh, I'm going to try to video more of my hunts this year. Um, so that's really one of my main things that I'm focusing on. That's one of my main goals is I want to get some uh, good film this year of uh, deer. So, so good footage of deer and just like a, a an average buck. I mean, are you going, do you have an age class? Do you have a uh, antler size that you're, you're looking for? Man, I'm going to take you back a little bit. I'm just going to say, if I see a book that makes me go, whoa, I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> oh, man, that is a, that's a throwback. That's back in the, that's a, <laughs> back in the day. Cool, man. But yeah, man, uh, honestly, uh, like I was saying, um, um, mature bucks, man. That's really all I'm after. Uh, I'm gonna shoot. I'm looking for anything that's probably uh, over three and a half. That's what I'm gonna go for. Um, I'm not gonna say if a, a stud, you know, younger buck comes out, I won't harvest it because I'm not that kind of guy. Uh, and you know, I, in my eyes, the trophy is in the person that harvested the animal. If that person that harvested the animal thinks that that animal is a trophy, then that's all right with me. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Take taking whitetail out of the equation off the top of your head. I want you to tell me your top five species that you want to go on hunts for. Man, okay, so let's think about this here. I definitely want to go on an elk hunt. I'm gonna say that's like a number two, but I really want to go to like Arizona or something like that and do a mule deer hunt, like out in the desert, like shoot a big desert muley, like still in velvet. So that's probably number one. And then I'd say an elk hunt's number two. Um, let's go with three would either be, it would probably be a black bear. Cause that'd be a cool one. Um, and four and five, probably a big horn and a moose, a big horn and a moose. Yep. I was looking at, uh, you know, obviously uh, Alaska, I think you can go to Alaska and you can go to Canada, but I think in the lower 48, like some of the wait times for some, uh, goats and sheep. And I'm not saying this is for every state, but are like 20 some years worth of tag, uh, preference points you got to buy. That's ridiculous. Oh yeah, dude. I believe it. So I'm to the age now where if I started now and put in and started putting in, I may be 60 years old before I can even hunt some of those species. Yeah, man. And then at that point in time, can you really hunt those species? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So that's probably why I mean, ideally, <laughs> yeah, I, I, with a rifle maybe, but you know, that's why a lot of people go to Canada and I guess, uh, in, in Alaska for that. But here's my, this is in no rank, but obviously I'm going on an elk hunt in September. It's like five weeks away. Uh, I'm going to, or I want to go on a, another mule deer hunt. I want to harvest a mule deer. Uh, I want to do a moose hunt for sure. And I want it to be one of those airplane flies me in, float down a river to civilization type hunts, right? For moose. And then I want to do a, antelope hunt and i also want to do a moose hunt well i said moose uh caribou 
I want to do uh, like one of those caribou hunts where, you know, they, they're kind of migrating. And I want to do all of that with a bow. Dude, that, that's an awesome, those are some awesome goals to have in life. And I think that uh, as long as you put your mind to it and keep working the way you are, I think you could definitely accomplish those. That's the goal, man. That's the goal. Well, we are wrapping this up real quick, but I want to ask you a question because it's not every day that I talk to a guy who, I mean, I, I've, I, I know some people who do it, but you started a coffee brand, right? So talk to me about why all of a sudden Rob Westbrook wants to start a coffee company. Man, really what happened was, uh, you know, I kind of, I started my podcast and then I, you know, kind of started looking into all these things and I've always wanted to uh, have a, a business of some kind, you know, and, you know, if it had to do with the outdoors, that would be awesome. And so I started looking, you know, probably January or February of this year, I started looking, you know, what could I do? You know, I eventually it'd be nice to not have to, you know, go to a body shop every day, but you know, that's just a dream for, you know, someday eventually. But I was like, I started looking, you know, looking into things. I thought about, you know, importing, you know, uh, cameras from China. I thought about uh, building my own deer feeders and selling them. I thought about all these things. And uh, one day I was just on Google, you know, just doing this thing, man. I would go in my room and I would sit there with my headphones on and listen to podcasts or whatever and just Google things, you know things that I thought had never been created or things that I thought I would be able to sell. And what I did was I Googled, you know, I started thinking, you know, outdoorsmen, you know, I'm the devoted outdoorsman. That's my podcast and everything. And then I was like, what do outdoorsmen need? And I was just like, man, coffee, you know, you know, you go hunting, you know, you go fishing, you go out on a backpack trip or whatever, you know, or, you know, even in small towns, man, I know what happens in Oklahoma and probably all these other States is you go to a, a small town and there's a, there's a, um, a store there where all the, the older guys gather in the morning to talk about whatever. And that's kind of what I thought about. I was like, man, there's not, is there an outdoorsman coffee? So what I did is I started Googling, man. And I looked everywhere. I looked on Google and Amazon. I went through uh, the trade system, like not the trade system, but the trademark system. Like I looked everywhere trying to find out if there was already one of these out there. And I couldn't find any information on one. And I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. So I set out on my adventure to uh, become the devoted outdoorsman coffee, you know, uh, had this line of coffee that was for outdoorsmen. So uh, that was a, that was a very unique experience, man. I bet I tried, I bet I tried 200 different types of coffees before I found the the actual blend that I'm using today. Um, It's been, it's been a crazy experience, man. It really has been. That's nuts. I like coffee. I drink uh, probably three quarters of a pot of coffee a day. The and the only reason I don't drink more is because my wife drinks uh, probably a quarter of the pot. So, uh, <laughs> but I probably would drink more if uh, if there was some left because I'll I'll take my thermos to work. I'll drink it. I'll come back home and then whatever's left is typically gone. Uh, like I, I drank a cup of coffee while we did this podcast. So, uh, I love coffee, dude. So, well, yeah, man. Mr. Rob Westbrook, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chat with us today. And let me be the first to tell you, uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. Dude, absolutely. I really appreciate you uh, having me on, man. And uh, it was awesome talking big deer with you and uh, coffee and everything else. And uh, if anyone wants to check that out, uh, go to uh, thedevotedoutdoorsman.com, man. You'll find coffee and all kinds of other stuff on there you want to check out. Or just hit me up on Facebook. Like I said, Rob Westbrook. Word up. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Hopefully your Monday sucks less after listening to this podcast. Huge shout out to Rob for hopping on the podcast and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and without those companies this podcast wouldn't exist and if you like this podcast then go support those companies so they can continue to support me it's kind of like a big circle if you're if you catch the drift here so take advantage of that uh plus the discounts that uh, go along with that uh what else social media i mean hopefully by now everybody who listens to this podcast is liking 
all the social media on the Sportsman's Nation, uh, whether that's Instagram or whether that is Facebook and the Nine Finger Chronicle pages as well, and all the other pages, you know, like the sports, like the Southern Ground. Like if you're if you're following Nine Fingers, you need to be following the Southern Ground podcast you need to be following the sound outdoors podcast the rookies in the backcountry podcast the land and legacy podcast all their social media as well because this is a one-stop shop my friend it is a ton of kick-ass content spread the word right tell everybody about this let's blow this up i've been talking too much take advantage of the qdma uh, one-year discount that's nine finger enter the discount code nine finger uh, when you check out and you will save ten dollars on an annual membership only making it 25 dollars a year that's pretty freaking good Uh, so take advantage of that and if you're gonna be in a tree our friends at hunter safety systems are reminding us please wear your damn safety harness have a good week Thank you.